why all the fuss about who did what, when, and the Hunter Biden laptop story? I'll tell you why. I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. So before we get to that, I just want to give you a few things to look forward to. Today, if you're listening on Friday, December 9th, today at 11 a.m., I'm having a live dive with Ian Davis, part three of our multipolar world order conversation. So that's going to be great. It'll definitely be on Rockfin. Don't know if it'll, it'll if I'm going to risk it on YouTube, but it'll for sure be on rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And I also have on my newsletter, my December newsletter at monicasdeepdives.com, other live dives and two Christmas cocktail parties. So one is going to be with some UK folks. So it's going to be early on December 21st at noon. And the other one's going to be the next day, Thursday, December 22nd, with some super fun guests, Joni Buck, a surprise guest yet to be announced. You will have to tune in to see, but you can go to the December newsletter to get links, to get show times for all of my live dives every month. But this month, there are a couple of cocktail parties. parties that'll be fun. And while you're over there, I wanted to do this just as a courtesy to some great listeners, entrepreneurs, people with integrity, liberty lovers, that whose products I love and use. So I actually reached out to people. I don't take sponsorships anymore um, with the exception of a, uh, I do accept actual products <laughs> from these people sometimes, but sometimes I buy them also. These are just things that I use. So I wanted to let you know, I asked those guys if they would set up a deep dives promo code for Christmas. It's Apocalypse Coffee, which I've switched to from my own coffee. I pay for that. Um, granite state Swiss, uh, granite state spice blends, fantastic. Uh, Truth Smacks, best trail mix I have ever had and healthiest. And I hate to say she is closing up shop. So she's just giving this discount to people. This is going to be her last batch. Uh, you can go to monicasdeepdives.com to find all that. It's under support and then shop. And also the Rye Guys. They make great Christmas presents. So I thought that would just be a service for everybody. Check that out. And now let's climb up onto our diving platform and take a giant stride off of this headline. Elon Musk fires Twitter's general counsel over Hunter Biden laptop saga. And it's so funny because I tweeted this. I said, hey, should I do a deep dive on this? Is it kind of like too tabloid material? I know there's a lot there, but this, you know, I, I feel like I'm being baited. So I tweeted this out and Twitter put a warning on my tweet for having sensitive content and then asked if I wanted to... I don't know, dispute that or whatever. I don't care about a tweet. When you take down my Facebook page, yeah, I'd like to <laughs> dispute it and probably can't. But anyway, so I wondered if they were kind of gaslighting us with that because Elon Musk is supposed to be this free speech guy, but when it touches too close to home, he can't take it. You know, the way they make all these billionaires look like the these petulant, irrational, impulsive children, which is not how you get to be a billionaire, unless, of course, you get to be a billionaire by using government money and arcane laws and um, connections like Elon Musk and Trump, the guys who are depicted this way. I just think it's evidence that they're created persons. Anyway, the story itself, which does, there is a purpose to all of this. The story is about 
Musk firing a guy named James A. Baker, which is the exact same name. Um, the middle names are different, but the initials are the same as James Baker, who is about as deep state as you can get. He's a capital guy, but definitely deep state. So, but this James Baker was the assistant general counsel at Twitter, and he was fired for suppressing the Twitter files. And the Twitter files are these the internal dialogue about whether or not to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story in October. So Elon Musk gave the Twitter files over to a couple of journalists, one of whose name is Tybee, uh, and Tybee reported on them all through this like incredibly long Twitter thread. And supposedly James Baker, who was a longtime FBI agent, or at least general counsel for the FBI and had a lot of other roles I'm going to tell you about. He was there in October 2020 saying, you know, we better not release this, whatever. There was a little bit of that. It was no bombshell, no smoking gun. Tybee even says that. He says there's just not a lot of there there. But they, but apparently Elon Musk said that this guy, Baker, was trying to prevent him from pushing out all these internal documents. Who knows why? It's, a, it's not a very fleshed out story at this point, but... Uh, what it did really was it made it look like this was that the claims that the FBI influenced Twitter are overblown because that was, that was something that was going around. Supposedly mainstream media reports say that the Republicans and Elon Musk are claiming that the government or even Democrat operatives were instrumental in getting the laptop suppressed in October. Now, it's like just too coincidental to me that the Anthony Weiner laptop, which was not suppressed but revealed prematurely in September 2016, was supposedly a difference maker in the election to get Trump elected, and this is the opposite. Just too much parallelism. The whole thing from the beginning Although the laptop's quite damaging to Hunter Biden, I can't help but think that this is just a psyop within a psyop within a psyop. And I believe that the underlying reason for all this psyopery is to divert constantly. I think there are a few reasons I'm going to lay them out. But one big thing here is just to constantly divert from the incredible meat of the matter when it comes to Hunter Biden and his uncle Jim being the beards for Joe Biden out there in the world, peddling influence internationally on an, an unbelievable scale, not to get nickels and dimes, not to get a couple of even tens of thousands of dollars from Burisma, but to get investments that could be worth upwards of a billion dollars. I, or, I mean, the money that was changing hands that you can trace is more like in the millions, but there are a lot of people doing a lot of work on this that is not getting very much publicity. And I think that's probably intentional. I think even the people who are working on it, Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley, are not really going out of their way. Peter Schweitzer, where that billion dollar number comes from, he did write about this stuff in a couple of books. He's, I think, a real 
I mean, I assume he's a big Republican. I don't know, but he's an author. Um, but the real, the stuff that like makes my jaw drop are some interactions that came out from Tony Bobulinski, which you may remember his name. I think, I don't know if he was a nuclear engineer, he was like in the Navy, he was some kind of inside guy, but a, a confidant, a representative, an agent of the Bidens. And he interacted via text with Jim, with Hunter, with a lot of people, with the Chinese, and with this guy, James Gilliar, who was, I think he was maybe British Special Forces. But these guys, oh my gosh, their interaction, they are just in country after country. They're texting each other from Paris, from um, Israel, from, uh, what, there was a an Arab country in there. I mean, I, I think I probably saw them mention 15 or 20 countries that they were jetting around to. And most of the other texts were just around making connections and setting up investment vehicles, trying to make sure it was on the QT, but still legal, making sure money got around, expenses got paid. And I don't see any legitimate function. These all look like personal investments on the Biden's part that, I mean, I, I it's just nothing short of using their political position or Joe's political position to get access to these sweet deals. I mean, I don't think there's any other interpretation. And the way it looks to me, it's as corrupt as anyone, as any financially corrupt. I mean, I think it makes the Clinton financial corruption pale in comparison. Honestly, that's what I think. And you can look at the stuff yourself. There's a website, MarcoPoloUSA.com, I think, by Garrett Ziegler and some other Republican guys who have a lot of links there, but they do what I think was uh, the Whitewater Clinton tactic and I think is an underlying reason here for the laptop, the Hunter Biden stuff, the laptop, is uh, I call it, I've just invented this, salacious haystacking salacious haystacking. So haystacking is when you want to assassinate someone. So you bring down the whole plane and no one can figure out if there was a target, it looks like an accident, but you don't, you know, have, have somebody fall out a window. You know, that guy's the target, right? Whether it was a suicide, an accident or murder, you know who it is. Haystacking, you don't. But I feel like in this case, you take, you like flood the zone with other material that obscures the real issue. And if it's salacious, if it's stuff about sex and drugs like Monica Lewinsky, it's going to take the headlines. It's what everyone's going to see. So in this case, you have Hunter Biden. I mean, those pictures are unbelievably shocking. Who wants to look, read Tony Bobulinski's texts about what flight he's on and how to paper up some documents when you can see Hunter Biden naked with crack pipes and potentially underage girls, some people in his family. Like, I didn't actually look at the picture, so I don't know what's in it, although occasionally I couldn't avoid seeing it. And you would absolutely get totally diverted by that stuff. And although the cost is high in humiliation, I don't think these guys care what you think about them that much. So it's actually great because it looks like the scandal is Hunter Biden and his tax evasion or drug use or um, 
exploiting women and girls. It, that's what it looks like. But in fact, I feel like this is a level of corruption that I've never really seen before. And, and another tactic that I see at work here, and I'm going to coin, I, I coined like three different phrases for this, for this thing. Cause just, I just saw so many tactics at play. Like I said, it's like psyops within psyops within psyops. So one of the articles I was reading said that Twitter suppressing the original, it was the New York post article about the Hunter Biden laptop in October, 2020, the laptop, in case you did not hear this story yet, the laptop, and this is another thing, it's like unbelievable. There was a water damaged laptop deposited at a repair shop, never picked up, and it was full of all of this stuff. So supposedly Hunter left it, maybe somebody stole it. I mean, it, it's just a, a fantastic story, fantastical story. So one of the articles I read said, some people suggest that by suppressing the New York Post article, they actually caused more um, attention to be paid to it. And they called that the Streisand effect. Now, I think I've heard that before, the Streisand effect. By trying to downplay something, you just end up giving it more publicity. So I would say that in this case, what they did was they suppressed the New York, they banned New York Post. They suppressed the thing. They couldn't, <clears throat> New York Post was adamant about leaving it up. So they suppressed the story for two days, but they banned the post for two weeks. Now the post, their article wasn't about all the sex stuff. It was about this corruption, but by not directing people, maybe I'm wrong about this, but by not directing people to that New York post article, cause New York post was still banned. They did allow after two days references to the story. And I just suspect that the way it rolled out, they use the Streisand effect to direct the attention towards the sex stuff rather than towards the kind of more, more important <laughs> corruption stuff because the sex stuff and the drug stuff doesn't, it, it does not implicate Joe Biden directly, whereas all this other stuff does. And that could be an October surprise that would really affect the election. We don't care about sex and drugs anymore, but that kind of corruption would be really bad. And I mean, I think that this this rises to the level of the things that have gone on, Iran-Contra, Watergate, that um, the Whitewater thing that have gone to real hearings. And this stuff is being suppressed. These hearings are not happening. Investigation is not happening. But I absolutely think it should. Yet all we really, when you say the Hunter Biden laptop, you just visualize him with a crack pipe hanging out of his mouth or him half naked with some girl in the background but that's what I think is part of part of this story, and and then to fold in Elon Musk and all of the uh, all the histrionics that he can bring to bear. Again, people aren't talking about having an investigation, but there is another issue here, and that is the FBI and and like psyops are often about multitasking. So the FBI is all over Twitter, like the CIA is all over Facebook. So last time I talked about Elon Musk, I referred to an article, I think it's called The Monthly Report, and I believe it's some affiliated with Mint Press, but they have this article about, like, Facebook is just riddled with CIA agents, and they have another article 
or related article at Twitter's riddled with FBI agents. Now, I don't know why Facebook would be CIA and Twitter would be FBI. I actually think there might be something to that. Like Facebook is in, is intelligence gathering because they're in, they're gathering intelligence on you. Facebook is where you put like all your personal stuff, all of your material. And then Twitter is about propaganda. So maybe the FBI is more about um, information control. I really don't know. I don't know why it would be one and not the other. I think the NSA is behind all of it. But so uh, so the, there's this article from a while back. The FBI is all over Twitter, and. Musk fires Baker in this furor about the FBI influencing Twitter. So it makes Musk look like he's cleaning house, but at the same time, because there was no bombshell, it looks like people are being paranoid. But it does fulfill his promise. Like at one point he said, why should people believe Twitter in the future if Twitter does not come clean about the past? Dorsey came out and said, oh, you should just release everything without filter. Let every just just open the kimono. And I think that's funny because like even WikiLeaks doesn't do that. So uh, Dorsey, the face job. Uh, anyway, so and and the mission, if that were the plan, to discredit accusations of the FBI influencing Twitter. I've got some mainstream media that's that's saying that. CNN says the Tybee Post undercut a top claim by Musk and Republicans who have accused the FBI of leaning on social media companies to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop stories. And then a Forbes article says Tybee suggests in his thread that there is no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story undermining a Republican conspiracy that, I think it means a Republican conspiracy theory, that the FBI was involved in the move to suppress the reporting. Nonetheless, Musk tweeted separately with no supporting evidence, this is Forbes, come on, that Twitter acted, quote, under orders from the government to suppress free speech with no judicial review. (laughs) So they're saying that there's no evidence, but it was an FBI guy, and he had been in the FBI for a long time, a long time time. And by coupling fears of FBI involvement in social media with Republicans, with one party for no good reason. I mean, we know plenty of old school liberals like Covert Action Magazine, for example, who uh, do not like that the FBI is all over Twitter. As a matter of fact, I don't know if monthly report, I think that is a left-leaning thing. And they're the ones who exposed it. But by putting it in the basket of Republicans and libertarians, libertarians are mentioned by name, having these concerns, which are paranoid, according to these reports, you've engaged in my third and probably final coined term of the day, spartisanship. (laughs) It's spartisanship. It's arbitrary partisanship a la the SPARS 2017 document from the Johns Hopkins website, which talks about how they had to decide whether the Democrats or the Republicans would be in favor of one or another therapeutic for, I guess, I think it was a coronavirus, a fake one. (laughs) And it was just like absolutely scripted the way Trump uh, championed hydroxychloroquine and then Democrats had to say it was bad. So by putting one issue or another in a basket, a Republican basket or a Democrat basket, when it's just arbitrary, it's not really connected to what my, what ideology is left <laughs> for in those parties. But I'm going to call that spartisanship. I'm going to put all these things in my glossary, if I can remember after the show. Uh, 
And those, I always put a glossary term in my newsletter too. So you can, um, I'll pick one for next, next January, the January newsletter. At least you'll get that. All right. So there's my little, I think that might be a sniglet. I don't know. But the thing about the FBI is like that it is real. They are there and there's more people there in the FBI. So, uh, from the FBI that are still at Twitter that have not been let go. And I feel like, Nobody's going to clamor for that because it ended up being a nothing burger anyway, right? Because Baker is nothing. So, and supposedly Musk didn't know this guy was in the FBI. Come on. Anyway, I mean, I would think he wouldn't know anything at his level except for the fact that he's in the weeds. So he should know who he's dealing with. Anyway, but in this article from Mint Press News, it said they discovered, this is from not, this isn't a current article, it's like, Maybe, I don't know how old it is, but not too old. But anyway, it says discovered from data on the professional networking site, LinkedIn. So these guys put everything on LinkedIn, which is weird. That individuals such as Jeff Carlton, Mark Jarosuski, Douglas Turner, Dawn Burton, Karen Walsh, Jim Baker moved from prominent roles within the deep state to important jobs within Twitter in recent years. Other individuals who refused to give their real names, such as Sherelle, Laura, Bruce, Patrick, and Matthew, also made the move from the intelligence community to Twitter. So those, I, I've looked up a couple of those people. They're still there. So I, I don't think any, I don't think anybody's going to make a fuss now. But let's just eyeball what James Baker, what he did before. He was in the criminal division of the DOJ through the Attorney General's Honors Program in 1990, went to work as a federal prosecutor with the division's fraud section. In 96, he joined the Office of Intelligence Policy and Review, intelligence policy. Uh, this government agency handles all Ju Justice Department requests for surveillance authorizations under the terms of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. And uh, one Washington Post reporter actually called him Mr. FISA. <laughs> he advises the attorney general, or did, on all major intelligence gathering agencies uh, and, and all major intelligence gathering agencies on legal issues relating to national security and surveillance and coordinates the views of the intelligence community regarding intelligence legislation. So he's a propagandist, he's a spook, he's all of these things, and he was at Twitter for not that long. Uh, he did something else. He was deputy counsel for intelligence operations there. And in 2014, he was appointed general counsel of the FBI. Uh, he later resigned in 2018. From 2020, from June 2020 to December 2022, so two and a half years, he was at Twitter as the assistant attorney general. He was fired publicly by Elon Musk. He is a graduate of the University of Notre Dame and received a JD and an MA from the University of Michigan. He has taught, this is important, he has taught national security law at Harvard Law School since 2009. Here's something that I'm going to highlight like three or four people in today's show, two more people after this, all of whom have taught at big universities. I think all of them taught at Ivy League universities because remember the last show I did, the FTX deep dive. Uh, Gary Gensler, the head of the SEC, knew the uh, FTX people through the father, or should have known, through the father of Caroline Ellison, uh, SBF's 
partner. You'll have to go back and listen to that. I can't get into the nitty gritty. But her father is the head of the economics department at MIT. And Gary Gensler was teaching at MIT. He was teaching like cybersecurity or um, crypto and national security, stuff like that. So they're in these people who are in the FBI or in government service. They are in the private sector. They are teaching at the institutions. They are in the social media. So look, this long march through the institutions that a lot of people talk about. I talked about with Courtney Turner recently, a couple of times, Tommy Sammons, that they, these are the institutions they're marching through. And it's not, and it's not vague. It's the same actual people. Like their names are the same. You look in the social media, you look at Twitter, you look at um, the government, you look at academia, you look at uh, the media, even look at the financial companies. They're the same actual people fostering their ideology and they have their own vested interests. They have their careers to think about. Then they have um, uh, these ideologies, whether they're self-serving or not, but they they are highly political. They seem very biased. It definitely leans Democrat. I can't deny that. So, uh, so I just think it's interesting that every person I've looked up in regards to this story or that last story, I mean, that the big players that I was highlighting all had taught at, I think, all Ivy League schools. So there was another weird thing about this guy, Baker. It said uh, he, Sinclair owned Circa, reported that Baker was under a Department of Justice criminal investigation for allegedly leaking classified national security information concerning the Trump administration to the media. Yes, so he's pretty anti-Trump is how he's portrayed. The probe described as a strange interagency dispute that attracted the attention of senior lawmakers reportedly ended with a decision not to charge anyone, but it still implicates him as being biased. And then another implication there is that he was, uh, had a role in the FBI investigation of events during the 2016 presidential election that would be taken over by Robert Mueller. So before the Mueller investigation, there was the Baker investigation, I guess. So, uh, you know, this is, this guy is not somebody you can trust to be unbiased. Like what is he even doing there for two years after decades in government service? Another bizarre character in this story is, uh, this guy, Yoel Roth or Yoel, like Joel, Yoel. Uh, he's very political in his language and his leanings, his activism, you know, I just, I don't know where this is going with this guy, but he definitely seems like an actor to me. He seems like he's playing a role and, uh, he definitely seems like he's there to trigger the right. He, he was in a recent, was an NPR interview, something like that, where he like starts by, although he seems gay and he might be, he starts by describing himself by, as a cisgendered white male with all the privileges in the world. And then talks about feeling threatened in this environment, like all these buzzwords, all these trigger words, all these things that should appeal to the left, but I would say probably don't. They probably only exist to trigger the right, and it would never be more obvious than in this guy's video interview. However, there is a uh, an FBI affidavit. I think it's sworn testimony in, gosh, I had so many documents. Literally, my show notes today is probably 40 Articles. I mean, I read a lot for this and actually didn't come up with, you know, 
the biggest smoking guns ever, but a lot of larger themes for sure. But this is what he said in what I think was um, some sworn testimony. He says, my name is Yoel Roth. I am head of site integrity at Twitter, which is part of Twitter's trust and safety department. In this role, I lead the company's site integrity team, which assesses content posted on Twitter to determine whether it violates the company's policies. Since 2018, I've had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security. What the fuck? <laughs> During these weekly meetings, weekly meetings, the federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack and leak operations by state actors that might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely in October. I was told in these meetings that the intelligence community expected that individuals associated with political campaigns would be subject to hacking attacks and that material obtained through those hacking attacks would likely be disseminated over social media platforms, including Twitter. These expectations of hack and leak operations were discussed throughout 2020. There were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. Okay, there's just so much there, but let me just point out two things. One is hack and leak kind of means true, right? <laughs> Not leak and lie or lie and leak, hack and leak. That's true. Like that's journalism, I think. You know, like if you get that, run with it, baby, unless you're in the business of suppressing information like that. This is so Operation Mockingbird. And then the other thing is that these guys in the government who, when we talked to John Lott, he absolutely said that he was, I think he was inside the Department of Justice briefly in the Trump administration, and they literally walked around saying, we're not helping you because we're Democrats. Like, it was the craziest thing. And... So they could be there telling, alerting, inoculating Twitter against even considering these things to be true. They could possibly, in their intelligence, know this stuff was going to be in the pipe and go out of their way to preemptively pre-bunk, to pre-bunk the thing, whether it was true or not. So any decent, I mean, these guys are putting themselves in the position of, of editors, of of censors, of curators, of, you know, as if they were journalists, really, or they're barring journalists. But let's say their goal is to facilitate journalism. That's just the kind of thing you don't want to fall for. I mean, that's just the kind of thing you should be alert to. So I also found a good site. I, I, I must have stumbled on it before, but it's quite good. It's called Influence Watch. I don't know if it's related to Judicial Watch, but it kind of outs these people a little bit. They, they have a section, uh, an entry on Joel, Global Head of Trust and Safety at Twitter. Uh, he leads the policy and threat investigation teams responsible for a wide range of security, authenticity, and content issues, including platform manipulation, misinformation, election security, data privacy, and user identity. Before joining Twitter, Yoel received his PhD from the Annenberg School for Communication at the University of Pennsylvania. His research and teaching, teaching, focused on understanding how policy, governance, and code influence, how code influences the types of communities that are able to safely and securely form online. How code will influence, and how the choices of developers, designers, and policymakers can systematically, systemic, influence here, push certain types of identities and communities to the digital margins. 
and this is where he goes all sorts of deep state. Roth also joined the advisory board of the Observatory on Social Media, a project of Indiana University. And in 2021, he became a volunteer for the Aspen Institute, providing technical advice to the organization's controversial Commission on Information Disorder. So that sounds like another rabbit hole to fall into. And his name, I actually for a second thought, Yol, I, I was reminded of Yale Eisenstadt. So his name is Y-O-E-L. Her name is Y-A-E-L Eisenstadt. She was the chick who was the CIA in the CIA for the longest time and then went over to Facebook briefly and was like the head of election integrity or something over there. And I got to say, like, this is getting a, a little crazy, especially with the yay thing and Musk and all of that. Yol and Yell, they sound like a couple of Mossad agents. And there is definitely a theme like that that's emerging. And I do not know the nature of it. I know that, like, this stuff of yay and Hitler and Alex Jones and Musk and his tweets and all of that is just, it's just, it's so irrational. It's so against Kanye's own interests that you have to wonder what's going on. It's an operation for sure, whether he's aware of it or maybe he's MK Ultra. I do not know, but it's definitely facilitating something. And, uh, I see this emerging and I will tell you being on radio, call in radio, I have complete PTSD on addressing anything of a race, ethnicity, creed, sexual orientation. Like I'm never going to do a deep dive on like, oh, the tribe runs the world. Never going to happen. But I do see that this is one of those themes that's emerging and I don't know where it's going. I don't know what to expect. Um, could be just like the FBI thing. It's like, you know, prove it's a nothing burger and people can move on. I don't know. But this Yale Eisenstadt, Eisenstadt is probably how she pronounces it. It just looks German. Uh, she, just a little background on her. Uh, she is the president. She is right now the vice president of the Anti-Defamation League. That must be new. She heads the Center for Technology and Society. Oh. That would fold in with her Facebook thing. She's a longtime democracy activist, which I would say Democrat activist. She was most recently the senior advisor for tech and democracy at the Institute for Security and Technology and a Future of Democracy fellow at the Berggruen Institute. She was a former CIA officer, a national security advisor to former Vice President Joe Biden, and a diplomat. In 2019 to 2020, she was a visiting fellow at Cornell Tech, focusing on technology's effects on democracy, where she taught a course on tech, media, and democracy. They're teaching the courses on the things that are on their agenda. So from 2017 to 2019, she was an adjunct assistant professor at the Center for Global Affairs at NYU. Sorry for all of this. Um, from June to November 2018, she was the global head of elections integrity operations for political advertising at Facebook. She has become a very vocal critic of the company since leaving, yada, yada. Currently, she specializes in ethics, technology, and policy, which does remind me of the whole FTX thing and that they, those guys were into like very strategic manipulation of elections. They had, uh, they fancied themselves uh, very ethical in their own form of uh, ethics. So I just, I feel like, these things are converging. I'm not exactly sure how, but 
I would just say that the bottom line is that the FBI and the CIA, along with the NSA, like almost certainly created these these organizations, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and they are still heavily involved in running it now. I can't imagine that that that's not true unless unless they they are so structured that you don't have once they put the policies in place if they have algorithms up maybe they don't even need people on the ground anymore maybe they can clear it out because it's just on autopilot and if they get rid of section 230 there may never be another competitor who's able to to compete with these incumbents because they will already have these massive apparatuses of curation, of editing, of censorship, of all of that in place, which will be the fallout of any change in 230. I'm confident that's the point of all of that talk. I, I loved when Robert Barnes told us his ideas for how Section 230 should be revised, but it will not happen in the way that any clear thinking or good um, faith person would would set it up it's for sure to fence off the incumbents but yeah this thing about there being like a continuum from academia to media to big tech to a political action committees to government intelligence you know that it's the same people it just blows my mind and they are influencing the ideals of these organizations of students of the public behaviors, policies at these firms. And uh, I just, I feel like this story is just a way to make the problem look kind of compartmentalized and manageable. Like, oh, there was a guy at the FBI, but Musk rooted him out. And maybe there's a couple of people left, but what can they do if, you know, the head's cut off, the body will die, you know? But I think it's really evidence of this just tremendously vast, deep state that's behind all of the screens and all of the propaganda. And I mean, at this point, it's it's hidden in plain sight. And what this particular thing is just drowning out what, honest to goodness, when I was reading the Bobulinski texts, and that didn't even include his emails. It's at this Marco Polo USA site. Uh, it's like a step-by-step instruction manual of how how corruption works, how influence peddling works and, you know, how much it's worth and who you have to know and and that you have these, like, these are special forces, guys. Like, that's who's on the ground <laughs> setting up, like, uh, meetings that are behind closed doors. These are the guys who are going to know how to keep things from being bugged. And, I mean, it was crazy. And I just, I feel like I walk away with a feeling that the sheer magnitude of Joe Biden's financial corruption is staggering. And I think it is capable of being overshadowed by virtually nothing except for maybe naked pictures of his son doing crack with potentially underage girls in the background. Like, I think that's what's going on here. Oh my gosh, it's so crazy. So anyway, that... Uh, that story, you know, I know it's serious, but like some of these things just, I mean, they're so preposterous. They just make me laugh. So, um, but I do, I really do want to shout out all these great, um, people, especially at Christmas time, please go to monicasdeepdives.com. I am just, uh, trying to make a mutually beneficial connection. So you can get a little deep dives discount there. You have to go through support and then shop. That's the menu items. And of course, True Hemp Science, I do love. I am uh, 
really enjoying these little CBD gummies. They help me. I'm on a diet as usual. <laughs> so in order to stay off the holiday cocktails, I'll just eat a CBD gummy and it totally, totally works. So highly encourage. Um, there's a promo code deep dive one word, capital D's. It's a little complicated. Uh, and you get a $25 bottle of oil, CBD oil for every hundred dollars you purchase. And they are absolutely, there is a, no chance there is any higher quality CBD stuff on the planet. I can't imagine. So check that out. If, uh, if you do like CBD or have been interested in trying it and if you have enjoyed this show, please share it on social media, even Twitter. Maybe it'll get a warning. That'll be fun. And you can go to Twitter and check out our conversation on this at Monica Perez Show. And if you want to communicate with me, I try to interact with anybody who kind of tweets at me directly. I try to um, respond really every night. So hopefully you enjoy all of this. I just did an interview with David Ike. That's the last dive master in the deep dives with Monica Perez feed. So check that out too. And go to my website to find the next live dives. <laughs>